Hi, David here. Welcome to Season 2 of Papa PhD. To kickstart this second season of interviews, I'm bringing you someone who's been helping researchers figure out their careers for a while now and who will be recounting how he navigated his transition and how he got to the position he's in today. But before we go into the interview, I want to quickly share with you what new features you'll be noticing starting today on Papa PhD. The first big change is that the interviews are now going to be shorter, around 40 minutes, and they'll be published as a single episode on Thursdays. Second, you'll see that I'll be spending more time discussing what my guests do today and what advice they have for you. And you'll see, the more we go into the interview, the more value you'll find. So be sure to stick around till the end. And finally, every episode, I will have a short section at the end where I'll be sharing trailers of podcasts I think you'll enjoy and that are friends of the show. I hope you enjoy the new format. So without further ado, here's episode one of the second season of Papa PhD. You know, typically in the UK, only like 50% of PhDs are still in academia three and a half years after they graduate. You know, some people are obviously doing research work still as postdocs. Some people are doing teaching and lecturing um, and some, some are in administrative positions. But yeah, half of all PhDs will be working outside of academia. You know, when you tell that to especially like first and second year PhDs, they can't believe it. It's like mind blowing. You know, even when I talk to people I meet and they I introduce myself, say I've got a PhD or something and they say, what, what, why aren't you working at Oxford or Cambridge? You know, you've got a PhD. That, that must be what you should have been doing. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. So today on Papa PhD, I have with me Dr. Chris Humphrey. Chris Humphrey is a project manager and careers consultant and the founder of the popular careers website Jobs on Toast. He holds a BA in English Studies and an MA in Culture and Social Change, both from the University of Southampton. He completed his PhD in Medieval Studies at the University of York in 1997 and held a postdoctoral fellowship there until 2000. Since leaving academia, Chris has worked as a project and program manager in the private sector, specializing in technology, transport, financial services and sustainability. Today, he works as a team leader and project manager for a leading European sustainable bank. Chris is passionate about helping people with their careers and personal development. He has given numerous career talks at universities in the UK, Ireland, Australia and the US and has taken part in live Q&A events on The Guardian's website and for jobs.ac.uk, amongst numerous other contributions. In 2012, Chris founded the website Jobs on Toast as a way to help master's students and doctoral graduates access the abundant career opportunities available outside of higher education. In our long conversation, Chris shared his academic journey all the way to the postdoc. In today's episode, I'm sharing with you what came after, how and why he started his career outside academia. Welcome to Papa PhD, Chris. Well, thank you, David, for inviting me and for having me on. I'm, I'm really happy to, to have you here, especially given the, the years of experience you have helping people uh, with masters and PhDs, like, like I just mentioned, finding their path. Uh, and I think a word uh, that I think is really important is in the abundant number of career opportunities that are out there. I think this is one key thing that, that people uh, are going to, uh, well, people need to understand to kind of uh, break this, this feeling that they, they may be failing uh, at life or at least at, at their professional life if they uh, end up leaving academia after, after graduate school. Yeah, like you said, uh, David, I did... Uh... I did my first first degree and then I did a master's uh, degree, which was quite broad, really. I didn't have a kind of clear idea of what I wanted to do as a as a job or career. And I, I was very interested in in kind of in cultural studies, you know, really looking at um, you know, look, looking at uh, 
things like uh, like like texts or uh, uh, or or theatre that type of thing, but through a sort of historical kind of lens. Um, but I, I really, after a while, sort of settled on this idea of, of studying the Middle Ages, uh, and especially this sort of notion of um, of uh, festive life and actually how the extent to which uh, the sort of um, what people did in their in their own time in their in their leisure time um, was something not only for sort of celebration or pleasure, but also could be ways in which um, political views and ideas could be articulated. Um, and that's something that really intrigued me, this sort of notion of, 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 of carnival um, and the world upside down. So that's something that I decided to um, kind of specialize in. Um, and it sort of motivated me to go and do a PhD then uh, uh, at the University of York. So, um, yeah, that, that's when I went to the University of York in, uh, in, in 1993, where I, where, I, where I did my PhD. So, as I mentioned, we talked before about Chris's PhD. And you can find our full one hour and a half conversation on the Papa PhD YouTube channel. We eventually also talked about what led up to his postdoc. Chris uh, was now considering after his postdoc uh, and, and after the... the his uh, after applying to some lecturing positions and not having them materialize thinking okay what am i going to do and and looking at the non-academic landscape and, and seeing where he was going to fit how did you go about that were there peers around you who were also having that reflection uh, how was that process how easy was that process or not easy uh, how was that that uh, exploration let's say yeah, it was kind of mixed because I think on the one hand, as I kept getting kind of rejections from the academic jobs, I kind of got a feeling of um, like a feeling of running out of time mm -hmm. or this, is, this isn't going well, you know, and uh, if only I could just get that academic job, everything would be okay. Yeah. So there was a kind of like a, a downside to it. But on the other hand, you know, I was really excited by other things that I was seeing around me, like, like, the, like the internet was something that was just really taking off in the late 90s. And I was just fascinated by the internet and this whole, um, I mean, I, I, I say dem democratic dissemination of information, which is not <laughs> a very, not a very, uh, doesn't need to trip off the tongue easily, but just the, the way that to get access to information or study or learning that, you know, typically you have to go to a university, it's can be quite elitist or privileged or, and cost a lot of money and time. But I was just, like the idea that, um, that, that anybody could just access any type of information, like videos and things as well that was coming along at the time and could learn anything, um, you know, if they had the right internet connection. It just, mm -hmm. it just so, it sort of changed my view of the world and so excited me that as a, as a sort of educator and as a scholar, this, this potential. And I was just really enthused by that and, and could see the sort of trans, transformative potential of it. And so that's when I kind of thought, well, this could be an area where I could, you know, I would really be happy and excited to work in and then i had to try and figure out well how do i get to that from medieval studies which <laughs> yeah. is kind of like the opposite uh, of this new of this new techie technological thing mm -hmm. um but then i figured out that actually then you know there was this whole area of e-learning e and web-based training where people were taking courses that were traditionally delivered um you know in the classroom or even on a cd yeah. you know and actually were making it deliverable over the web and i just thought that is you know that is what i that's what i'm going to do and so I really had a look. I had a search for jobs, you know, and companies. Um, I kind of looked at all their e-learning companies and read all their white papers and things. And then I just started looking for Googling jobs, you know, e-learning jobs, web-based training. And I saw that there were these jobs out there and mm -hmm. didn't necessarily know how to do them. But I felt confident that if I applied for that job, I reckon I could, I could do that. And mm -hmm. so that was my plan B, really, that yeah, if this academic stuff didn't work out, then come at the end of my funding, I was going to, this is what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so again, were, were peers around you also having the same questions or were you, were you on your own in this, uh, in this exploration, in this career exploration, this new domain? Yeah, I think most of my peers were, they were getting, they were applying for academic jobs and getting academic jobs. Mm. So I think that was one of the, one of the challenges, although some maybe, well, because there wasn't, there weren't, there weren't, there weren't lots of us, you know, there were, there's only, there's only sort of like a dozen or so yeah, people. Yeah. So actually um, maybe, but for some of the years below, um, you know, they were, people were interested in 
uh, they're going to join the civil service. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't going to go on to be academics. They were going to go and join government, uh, join the government, or maybe they were more interested in administrative positions in universities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like um, you know, like alumni association, publicity uh, officer, or te- or on the tech tech side, like computing and that type okay, of thing. Okay. So, yeah, I think some people were kind of. There was a kind of broad, broad mix. I didn't. It was. I wasn't alone or unique in that respect. Yeah, but at that, you know, you're talking about googling, and at, at that no, today we have it on on our phones. You know, but at that time it, it was not as, uh, uh, you, you know, it wasn't uh, not as widespread, and uh, it was the experience was not the same as it was today. But um, my question is, how how was it to? try and contact because you imagine i imagine eventually you had to contact people you had to well apply for positions but how easy was it and how did you go about uh you know getting to the interview that or the interviews that led you to your first job after your postdoc yeah i think um i think i did apply for a couple of jobs that were in universities at first because that seemed to be a good a good fit and then um yeah i was looking at these kind of private companies as well and um yeah i can't i'm trying to think i think it was Mon- something like Mon- uh, monster.co.uk yeah. like the job job board as it was and yeah, i think yeah, that's yeah. where i saw this job in this e-learning company down in the southeast of england okay so so a long way away from where i lived mm-hmm. um yeah just an e-learning s- startup company and i just um yeah i sent through my cv to them um and yeah got a got a response back yeah come down come down for an interview so oh, wow. um Yeah, I just the thing is, I never, I never actually did any of the things I advise people to do, like, <laughs> like networking or all this type of stuff. You know, informational interviews, yeah. all the things I tell people to do. I actually did not any of that. I did, I did the research into the industry. Mm-hmm. I did that, but I had no network. I had no, and so, but I didn't know. I didn't know then that that's what you needed to do. Yeah. So I was just, you know, kind of um, going, you know, just kind of discovering as I went. Yeah. Yeah. So that so uh, this interview did it lead to your first position? What did you get it at that time? Yeah, so I went for my first interview. I went okay. all the way down to um, to um, yeah, the southeast of England, just outside London, and had an interview and uh, with the with the sort of guy who was going to be my manager. And after you know about twenty minutes of talking, he said, "Oh, let's just invite the chief executive in now." And so they they came in, and then they just said, "Yeah, we just want to." Um, Yeah, we want to offer you the job, you know, and it's just <laughs> wow. Uh, considering I didn't know how to do it, um, you know, but they were they were an, they were a startup, so they had a lot of techie kind of people mm-hmm. who could build software that would deliver a course, but they didn't have anybody very much educational who okay. could who knew how to structure information Content. for learners. Okay. Yeah, and so they were just you know they were keen to um, you know they were keen to sign sign me up, and um, you know we talked about salary and that type of thing and then yeah i basically had to um yeah just call my wife and say yeah i was you know this is We're this moving. is a great opportunity we, <laughs> we, we you know and the proposal would be we would move down to the southeast of england wow. so it was it was a yeah it was a quite a big change for us but it was for me i was just so excited because i didn't want to finish my postdoc funding and be and, and it's, it's, it does seem a very negative view but like stuck in stuck in york mm-hmm. teaching part-time waiting for something to come up and yeah, i just yeah, yeah. i didn't want that to happen and i really and you know and i was just so relieved as well to have something positive and, and energizing yeah. you know to kind of take me forward yeah something modern a real opportunity uh, and they were trusting you to to fill to fill this position and uh, and i guess you you dove into it and you learned whatever you need to learn uh, i imagine with you know in a hands-on approach too be with the team around you but um uh, the the question i have is so what were you bringing to the table uh you know apart from you had been in academia for a while and, and so teaching learning was something that that you, you had bathed in for a, a, a long time but specifically given given that this this was now kind of a software it was a software uh, startup uh, how you know what do you think uh, in in the interview was the thing that they um that they uh, they looked at you and said okay this is this is the guy who's going to fill this position the the best the best thing i did was um i kind of did a pitch a bit of a pitch at them and i said you know it's quite funny when i say this now because it's so we do this every day but i said like my vision is that um one day you know like uh 
if if you've got a problem with the spark plugs on your car, mm. you know, um, you will be able to get your phone or a computer. You'll be able to watch a video about how to change the spark mm. plugs, and then you'll go to the shop, buy them, and then you'll do uh, lift the bonnet up, and you'll <laughs> you'll do that yourself. And you know, this the internet makes it possible for people to learn and do things themselves. Mm. And uh, they they thought that was brilliant. They just they absolutely love that. And it's so funny when I tell the story now because like. That's what my kids do. Like, isn't that what everyone does? You know, but in, in you know, in that time, it, that's that was that was, and I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm bragging or boasting or anything, saying like, hey, I'm the I'm the visionary or something. But that just when I when I looked ahead at a logical extension of what was happening, mm-hmm. I saw that potential. But what I was trying to do was to see it from the customer's point of view, mm-hmm. and I think that's the the thing. What they didn't want to do is just like hire some theory educational theory guy who can't relate to the end user or the customer and i think what the sort of vision i set out for them was like here's an end user and here's what they'll buy or here's what they're going to do with what you're making Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that really helped them know that i was kind of you know a customer centric Mm -hmm. person to use the kind of what the the jargon or what we look for in business Mm -hmm. you know we look for people who come from the customer's point of view so i think it was good it was and i'd had no i had no I didn't deliberately do that. I just kind of tried to be as transparent and passionate as possible about what the potential for this technology was. Um, but I think that was what made the difference. Yeah, no, no. yeah. Showing some creativity and showing that, because I don't know how much you had, you, you told me that you had, you know, studied the, the, the industry and, and, and really looked into what was out there, but it's also showed that you kind of knew what their mission was and, and, in, and then projected it into the future for sure. Uh, that was that must have made a, a, an impression, and, and they and they hired you. Uh, I, I really want to later on, given all your experience, talk about you know your experience talking to students and and and, uh, and giving them advice. Even though you said that at the time you didn't follow the, the advice that you're giving out, but maybe <laughs> maybe later on in the, in the in the interview. But I'm still interested in knowing um, because. This is very different from from what you were setting out to do while you were applying for lecture for uh, lecturer positions, right? Mm. You must have had uh, well, not not you must uh, maybe I shouldn't say you must have had, but was there some some sort of uh, like mourning for your academic career that you had to go through a mourning process uh, of saying, okay, well, I I went all as far as I could. This is not uh, materializing. And and uh, I'm going to turn a page. Uh, was that an easy process to you, or was it was there some some little pain there from from uh, kind of leaving academia? How how was how was that? And and I imagine that once you got this position, you kind of probably forgot about all of that, and you were excited about this new thing. But still, that this this transition and. Uh, this this because you were also there's a community that kind of you're kind of leaving and eventually you were even moving from from the the, mm. the the city you were for a while yeah i think it's um it's interesting because i think i was so excited and energized by this new opportunity that that just kind of like carried carried me through a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff mm-hmm. um because you can, as you can imagine you know in that final year of my postdoc there was a lot of pressure on this whole thing about what are you going to do next a lot mm-hmm. of weight of expectation and responsibility as a as, as a father and as a, yeah. as a as a as a husband you know and um yeah put put, put up on myself by myself but nonetheless it there was it kind of weighed quite heavy on me i guess and then yeah i was really energized by this new opportunity so i think i think i always had the ambition in academia to go as far as i can and i think that's when i look back on it that was my mm-hmm. ambition i'm going to go as far as i can and actually when i look back on it i did i did go as far as i could you know and it it wasn't it i didn't if i look back i didn't have the aspiration to be a professor like from day one if you know what i mean mm-hmm. i i saw it as a a, a trans a fantastic opportunity to do a phd funded and to do a postdoc funded and people to give me money to you know for me to produce research high quality research you know and and so it was an opportunity i, I don't know i don't so i don't kind of mourn for like I never wish I could have been a lecturer, if you know what okay, I mean. Okay. I, I was I was great. I was grateful for the opportunity. I had a fantastic experience. Um, there were some troubles at, near the end because it was, but it wasn't so much, you know. And um, I think I also I published my 
thesis as a book. Okay. And so I kind of felt like, you know, everything, I kind of wrapped it up and it was a neat package really. Mm-hmm. And I could leave that, you know, that was the book. And now I'm going to go on to do another chapter of my life. And yeah, I think it was perhaps just a little bit, maybe dealing with other people's expectations. Sometimes I went to a couple of conferences after I left academia. I okay. still carried on to going to some conferences and would go and see people and they would sort of say, oh, uh, I'm sure something will turn up, Chris. And <laughs> they were trying to be kind of um, sympathetic. And yeah, it was yeah. it was a kind of a little bit of jarring because it was kind of like, well, no, every, you know, things are good for me. So it was <laughs> there were some of those sort of things to deal with, really. And it was other people's expectations, maybe as much mm-hmm. as as much as anything. Um yeah, you kind of touched on the the point where I wanted to get, which is uh, I I, f- I feel and in interacting with with people out there that there's a, there's a lot of this idea that if you leave academia, you're failing somehow, and you're not. Mm-hmm. You're you're just changing another you're changing paths, and you're you're going to bring with you uh, uh, your quiver full of. Uh, different, you know, different uh, skills and uh, and uh, abilities that you're going to use somewhere else uh, in something mm-hmm. else, and they're going to excel at. Uh, but that was my point. So my, where I was going, wanted to get is, well, there, there can be, uh, and myself, you know, when, when you there's an institute, there's people, there's a community that you kind of go away from. There's there's always a little bit of maybe sadness there. But professionally and in terms of the big picture of your of your life, you're you're just you know, you're just pivoting and doing something else. It's not uh people shouldn't be afraid of uh of whatever's outside academia. There's a lot of things out there exciting, stimulating and and fulfilling. Yeah, no, I think that's exact exactly right, because it's 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 easy to stick with what you know. Um but when you look at it, you you can't stay in it forever because you need you need you need to, you need to you need money to live yeah. and you need you know and you need a direction and a purpose and you need to feel fulfilled and that's the risk that people hang hang around in in an academic environment because that's that's where I just re, you know really want to help people especially yeah. if they you know adjuncting or doing something where they're very low paid but they kind of feel that's all that they can do and it and it, and it isn't but it's um, yeah so it's it's interesting it's a mix of, it's a, it's a sort of a mix of emotions and I think. It probably it took a long time. I didn't have a a lot to do. Probably for nearly ten years, I didn't have a lot to do with academia. Mm-hmm. After I left, I gradually sort of wound things down, and then I was. But I was in, embracing this whole new world of um, in business and mm-hmm. project management and sustainability. So I had a lot of other exciting things and passions, and I didn't really mm-hmm. sort of mourn what I'd left behind because I was really st- stimulated by. What I was doing next. Yeah, and you were growing on on you know you were growing this all, whole other side of of uh, of a few of your abilities and and of your no for sure. So you, you just mentioned project management, sustainability. So how how did that? Before we talk, because I I really want to talk about uh, things to do with with you know finding a career after your PhD and based on all the experience you have, but still on your journey, how was this uh, transition into project management and now sustainability how did you navigate that and also what uh do you think that from your phd in terms of skills uh what do you think allowed you to to go into these domains yeah i mean it was a kind of um accidental in that i was working at the e-learning company for probably about two and two and a part years and then one day the um my boss uh, came in and every day he would normally just say, uh, "Oh, good morning, Chris." And I say, "Oh, good morning, Nigel." <laughs> and then he said, uh, "Actually, Chris, it's not a good day today because the venture capitalists who are funding us have withdrawn their funding. They're not going to fund us anymore. Oh. So you you've lost your job today. Now oh, <laughs> this is it. We're going to have to close the company. Um, so that that's it. And so it was quite a shock and a blow to me of hmm. having kind of a um, you know made this." jump and relocated my family and everything like that um yeah just to actually lose my job and not even have any note you know like a notice period where you'd be paid mm-hmm. literally i didn't get paid for that month's work even so i had to it was immediate uh, it was immediate i just oh, had to right. ring my wife and say yeah i'm just lost my job there's not even, because the company's gone bust there's yeah. no uh normally if you get made redundant you get a notice period or a mm-hmm. or a payoff or something like that but yeah we didn't even get paid for that month's work so it was quite it was quite a blow um uh and a thing to 
to happen. And but you know, I kind of this is what I always say to people is that the resourcefulness of repurposing myself to get a career outside academia is kind of like okay, I already did this once, and yeah. <laughs> it can't be it can't be as bad, it can't be as bad as that because I've got experience. But then I was a bit like, well, how much experience have I really got? Um, the other thing also that we were moving we were moving house because we decided to relocate to the southwest of England. So mm. a complicating factor was that we were actually moving um, as well. Uh, so that didn't help, but, um, yeah, just through sort of talking to some people and actually it was a connection of my dad, he, who knew a consultant and he knew, he knew, um, a managing director of a company that might have a possibility. Um, yeah, so I, um, sent in my CV to them and they had a vacancy for, uh, somebody to, um, a trainer and a technical author. And so that okay. quite fitted in quite well with the sort of e-learning stuff mm-hmm. and, the, and the sort of teaching and training background and the writing. So, yeah, I got a job with them working on um, uh, it's Well, you probably know you've probably seen them, but it's like, you know, at, um, on, on bus stops, you have a, a sign that tells you it counts down. When's the bus going to come? Yes. Like in five minutes, in three minutes, the bus is yep. due. Absolutely. So it was a company that made that software. So the bus talks to the bus stop. And yeah, that okay. was who I got a job with. Uh, I didn't know anything about this stuff, but uh, I would end up going into bus stations to train bus drivers and <laughs> write manuals and this type of stuff. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good sort of um, first step for me to get another job, mm-hmm. um, but then sort of start to re- start to rebuild my career. Okay, this makes me think of, of something that I also mention often, which is give yourself the chance to, or don't try to, or don't aim to find the dream job right away. Uh, mm-hmm. give, give yourself the chance to go with what works at the moment, or the best if possible, in, in whatever's in your horizon. And then you'll build up experience. And eventually, next time you change, then you're going to kind of, level up to something that's closer to maybe what your dream dream job is so here you were in domain that had that was really you know far departed from whatever you you had done before and uh <laughs> and uh very different in the interactions you were having and even in the mission let's say of and and you went and i imagine that you you gained with that experience yeah because i'd i'd been there for a short time and then they um the managing director asked me to do a little research project and make a kind of recommendation about how they should uh, structure the business because part of the part of the business was taking a lot of uh, data about public transport uh, like you know buses and trains mm. and crunching it all together so that it could then be used on websites where people could go in and search I and mean, we're so used to doing it now it's on our phones but this is in the yeah. <laughs> early part of 2000 yeah, people would actually ring up a call center and say, yeah, I'm in uh, this town. I want to go to that town. Can you work out a journey for me by a bus? And then they would put it into some software and then tell them the journey and oh, the times. Man. And <laughs> it, it just, you know, my, when I tell my kids, they just, it's like, it blows their mind, you know. Who would ever ring up someone and ask for this information? But <laughs> this, is so what, this is what we so did. Cool. Yeah, mm. in the early part of 2000. So we were really, this company had some contracts to gather this information up for about, probably for nearly half of the UK actually, and put okay. it into these different regional and national websites. And so I actually made a recommendation about how this could be structured. And then the mm. manager, managing director said, do you want to run it then and be the manager oh, wow. of this department? So I couldn't really say no. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And I had two people working for me and, and a whole load of computers. And we had to send out CDs every week to these different call centers, oh, you know, but it, it was good. It was yeah, CDs. You had to burn CDs and put put them in the post. It's oh, wow. it's so funny when you, when you look back. It's but amazing. it's it was you know I'd, I'd never done that. But it was just the confidence of like yeah I can see I can see how this could be done. And uh, as long as you can you have the confidence in your own ability and you can also assure other people that mm. you're going to do, give it your best shot and keep communicating with them. And if things go wrong, be honest mm. and ask for help. You know, as long as you have that attitude, I think that you're always mm. going to get supported. So. That was my real yeah. sort of luck land on my feet. I actually kind of, you know, um, got a man- got a management position within a within a, a software company and quite a, a decent amount of responsibility. Did you hear that? With all the abilities and skills you've developed so far, a lot of what ends up differentiating you and pushing you forward in terms of your career has to do with the attitude with which you face challenges you're presented with. 
His self-confidence, honesty and open communication were key for Chris in advancing into a managerial position of more responsibility at this stage. In the second part of our conversation, Chris then went on to talk a little bit more about this idea of starting lower in an organization to then climb the rungs faster as a PhD once you've shown your colors and taken on a few challenging projects. Yeah. No, and, and again, another interesting thing is once you get into a position that's maybe lower than you expected, if you, if you, you know, prove your capacity and you get involved on projects that are maybe a little bit on the side of, of what your job description is, you're going to be noticed and you can evolve within the company. It's also, it's also uh, something that, that, you know, you don't know when you're coming out of a PhD or a postdoc that, that businesses work like this. You, you can evolve, you can uh, grow within an organization. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really good point, David. Because within academia, it doesn't it's it's a very sort of linear hierarchical mm -hmm. slow progression. Um, but actually, in companies and organizations, you know they they especially if they're small, they're quite flat. And if you're sometimes you have to go lower to go higher. That's one of the things I yeah. say. You know, it might feel like oh, it's a bit of a step down because I had this really prestigious research fellowship at this top university, and mm -hmm. now. What, you know, what am I doing working for this uh, software company out in the middle of no, out in the middle of nowhere? You know, <laughs> uh, but actually, once yeah, you you take the plunge, you learn, you absorb, and then you get recognised within the company, and then that's the next step for me. Is actually, I after after um, a couple of years, I really realised that the knowledge I had was quite extremely valuable, and um, that's when I started to look for a job as a consultant because I realised okay. I could I could you know. Um, I could earn quite a lot more money um, yeah. and also have some new challenges by just by, if somebody else hired me out to, as a consultant. So that was really my next step to get hired as a as a transport consultant. Um, mm -hmm. So that yeah, that's what I did next. Mm -hmm. And so then then eventually um, you you went also into project management uh, and. Well, and this even in in the the bank you're working in today, that's how you started, right? Did you go get training for project management, or did things did you organically through your experience grow towards uh, towards those positions? Yeah, it was just, it was organic, really, and also a, a little bit of a sense of uh, arrogance that I could do it better than the <laughs> other people. Uh, you know, when I worked for that software company, and then we we took on new contracts, um, and people had to manage you know, um, oh, now we've got to give this data to the this part of the government or something like that. And just looking at it and seeing how other people were doing it and just thinking, you know, I could I could do this. It's not my job, but I could do this better. I could do it more structured. I would talk to the stakeholders better and run it better. And I just, and so then I gradually, yeah, I took on some responsibilities. And then when I joined the consultancy, I was actually a project manager for hire type of thing. So then the that consultancy hired me out to, Um, work on projects, mainly European uh, Commission-funded transport projects. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's when I was. I was a, for three years. I was the project manager of a um, research project into congestion charging mm. benefits. What's the benefits of introducing congestion charging in cities? Okay. How much does it reduce congestion pollution? What can you do with the money? And oh, wow. I, I ran a big research project on that, which was it was good because it, it it was my research background, but it was also. I was hired out by the company to the mm. to the European Commission to manage that project. So, and it was good. I had a lot of international travel, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I didn't have any training in it. It was just to me, it just um, sort of comes naturally. I think it also from the PhD of just like going from something that's an idea to a methodology to a plan to the delivery of the plan mm. to the conclusion and the handover of that thing yeah. to the customer or the end user. It just that's what a phd is or writing an article or something isn't it's just yeah intuitive, and that's one of, yeah and that's one of the big uh transferable skills or transferable set of skills what you just said one of the big transferable set of skills that phds maybe are not conscious that they that they come with after their phd but that they do have and that they can that they can use in whichever industry they desire because uh and again often you'll have to prove yourself to the organization because uh, you know people won't right away put you in a management position come you know coming out of academia and for many reasons because you haven't mm. proven yourself in the, in the industry but quickly a phd can get into a, a lower position 
start proving proving himself or herself and eventually access these these uh, manage these project management uh, positions of high responsibility because they have the capacity to analyze crunch data uh, you know uh, put build projects from scratch and then deliver uh, and and I think it's uh, it's something that uh, listeners out there that that are cons- that are thinking Am I employable after my PhD? Yes, you are. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, definitely. You, you, def- you definitely are. Yeah, project and project management is—it's such a massive growth industry. I mean, I never. Yeah, when I was at school at university, I never really knew much about it. But you know, change is a kind of cliche about change is the only constant now. But when you look at the <laughs> rate of change, the pace of change in our society, and who is mm. who is the pe- who is the who are the people managing those changes? They're they're project managers. And it could be like the, you know, it could be the Olympics or it could be an <laughs> yeah, election yeah. campaign or it could be the upgrade on your phone. Every time something changes or is a big event or something, project managers have to sit down with a blank sheet of paper and work it all out. And it's, it's, it's really exciting to me to feel part of that, that community uh, of, of project managers and see, yeah, I guess eventually that's how my professional identity is solidified, mm-hmm. whereas it was originally sort of like a researcher or maybe, you know, a kind of um education and learning mm. specialists within tech companies but yeah really my my um my, my my professional identity is solidified around a project manager or even now we're called sort of change managers because it's becoming less change. the case that okay. change managers yeah because it's less the case that there's a distinction between like run run the bank change the bank as mm-hmm. you can talk about with banks you know so in the old days banks mainly ran the bank you know most of the banking was the same and then maybe some little department introduced some new thing every so often mm-hmm. you know but but now the run i'm not it's, it's still an important part of what banks do obviously running day-to-day operations but there's there's so much change happening yeah. all the time you know you think about banking on your phone yeah. uh, and all these sorts of services that check that the the, the the change the bank function has become much bigger mm. yeah, it's not an occasional thing that happens every so often but it's a constant it's constant yeah 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 all the time you know and you 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 can't stop like we think about your phone you can you can't you can't stop having updates oh, i wish my phone would just stand still you know well it, no, it doesn't it doesn't. it's it keeps cha- it keeps changing and that's really what's exciting to me is when is 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 when is how do you manage continuous ch- how do you manage continuous change mm. yeah yeah it's it's interesting and it's it's true you we, you notice it on on your phone banking is is definitely one of them and now that, I, I imagine with cryptocurrencies getting more and more importance i i anyway i don't think we're going to go into that but uh, i find it very interesting from what from what you said that you use the term solidify my my professional identity solidified around this uh, this activity that i developed but uh, it what, what, one thing i think i find interesting interesting is don't be afraid of uh not knowing what you're going to become when you when you, when you leave uh because that's going to materialize with time and again, because you, you, you probably won't, you, you may be lucky and have very good networking and start right away with a job that you adore and that you're going to stick, stick for with life. But it's not, you know, it's not a, a given. So I think that's, that's a very, very interesting, interesting thing. And it, it goes with what I said before, of give yourself the time to slowly get to where you want to get, right? Um, but yeah. One one thing, uh, and we're reaching the end of. Uh, the, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed that uh, we're we're uh, my time is almost ending for this this uh, for the interview. But so, uh, w- uh, along with all of this, at a certain point, uh, you decided in 2012 to start something to give back to the community you had come from in a way the the uh, mm-hmm. the students, the PhD students, the master students, which is Jobs on Toast, and. You know, you've spent all these years kind of with the same mission that I I have kind of taken for myself of helping people out there who are doing their masters, who are doing their PhD or postdoc, and who are in doubt about what is my future, what's my professional future. Uh, Let's. I'd just like you to talk a couple of minutes uh, uh, about jobs on toast, about what your experience has been. Maybe changes you've seen in the in the in the late in you know the latest years because things are changing, uh, and yeah. uh, and uh, maybe finish by sharing two or three pieces of of advice for people out there who may be anxious about not really knowing what their professional future will look like if or when they they end up uh, leaving academia. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, it's interesting. The jobs on toes kind of came about like yeah, it's quite in quite a serendipitous way. Um, uh, I was invited by my old dissertation supervisor to go up to York in two thousand and nine to give a a little um, seminar on the on the topic. I was invited was like how um, how to market yourself for careers outside of academia. Okay. And um, uh, Jeremy asked me to go up and could you just like re- talk, you know, talk on this subject for an hour or so? We'd be pleased to have you. And I'd never really thought about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I went to do that and gave that talk. And, um, you know, I was just really, it, without sort of blowing my own trumpet as such, the, the impact that it made on the people who were in that room and their change in their demeanor and how they spoke to me and they spoke afterwards was it just, it just like it just showed to me that there was a there was a need that I'd never really thought of or identified that th- this information was really helpful beyond you know, in the room. But so I just thought, well, how could this information get to a wider audience? Because really, at that time, there was not anything else. Um, I think versatile PhD may have been around. Okay. Um, and so, but then I really determined, well, how could I get this some of this information what I've just said out onto the internet? You know, if I could just make a website, disseminate it. Um, and, but also maybe, um, go and do the same sort of talks at other universities. So that's when I, it took me quite a long time because it took <laughs> me till 2012 actually to kind of figure out blogging and yeah. how to make a website. And, you know, I was busy obviously with my, with my job and my family and everything. So it, it, it was always a side project. Yeah. But I launched that in 2012 and just really kind of built up, tried to uh, have an ambition of like once every two months, writing something, going and trying to give talks and then like reflecting on my experiences of that and writing about that. So, um, yeah, so in the beginning it was really trying to find the way and it was linking up with some other people as well, like, uh, like Jen Polk, um, yep. from, from Canada, um, in the early days from PhD to life and just trying to find other people. Um, I was a Hankel from cheeky scientists who were sort of on the same kind of mission. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that sort of seemed like some of us in different countries. Um, but it was, but it was very, it was very early days, but, um, I mean, it's interesting now because I kind of feel like there's there's lots of people who've all joined in from different countries. Yeah, like like yourself, David. Mm-hmm. It's just really, it's just really exciting to me that um, what what I started off or a couple of us started off has really grown into a bit more of a movement, and also to see the impact on universities that it's not some afterthought. You know, really that hey, maybe once a year we should think about talking to the PhDs about other careers, but actually. Some universities are building it into their actual um, graduate training, mm-hmm. you know, careers advice and careers outside of academia. And that's what's exciting to me is that in 10 years, you know, we've actually built this into a into that. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it, it is changing. And um, some of, a lot of the, the people you, you, you mentioned are, are still uh, there and, and helping a lot of people. Uh, the, I think things that have changed lately uh, in terms of uh, spreading the message are Twitter, uh, social mm-hmm. media in general, uh, podcasting uh, for sure is, is is something that that has brought a different uh, reach. And, True. Uh, yeah. But but um, what what I what I find interesting in in the conversations I've had at universities is I feel that even universities now are you know are getting the message that that uh, they need to prepare their students for this reality of not everyone can become a professor and it's it's just simple mm-hmm. as that not not everyone and apart from not everyone just a small percentage of people have and i think uh, even now with uh, with all this the, the the problem with the covid and and with the pan- the pandemic the closing up of, of universities all of that is even getting more you know the access to those positions is getting even more more difficult uh, at at this time yeah yeah so i mean the, you know typically in the uk something only like 50% of phd's are still in academia three and a half years okay. after they graduate and so yeah with a bit of a split of uh, um, you know, some some people are obviously doing research work still as postdocs. Some people are doing teaching yeah. and lecturing, and you know, but probably half of all PhDs, um, and some some are in administrative positions. But yeah, all half of all PhDs will be working outside of academia. You know, when you tell that to especially like first and second year PhDs, they <laughs> they can't believe it. It's like mind blowing. You is. know, and um, even you know, even when I talk to people about people I meet and they I introduce myself, say I've got a PhD or something, and they say, what, what, why aren't you working at Oxford or Cambridge? You know, you've got a PhD. That that must be what you should have been doing. And it's 
it's a, it's it's interesting that this is powerful expectation, but yeah. it's trying to educate people really about you know th- I call it sometimes like career consciousness, developing a career consciousness mm-hmm. that's beyond just just who's around you, but actually this wider this wider picture. And yeah, when you tell people the statistics, I think that is that that that, that is a real you know a sort of eye opener to them. Because yeah. um, the, the the important thing, and I'm, I'm you know busting the time, but is this doesn't mean stop your PhD and go do something else. Doing your PhD is something that's gonna that's going to add a lot of value to to your to you as a person, uh, to you as a contributor to society later on. Just don't just just expect that it's not a given that you're going to to end up being a professor. But like you said, you can stay in the uh, alt alt they call it, right? The alternative academic mm-hmm. career paths that are that are out there. There's a lot of things you can do in and around the uh, university. But then the 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 the, uh, the job market out there needs it, it, sometimes the and I, it's funny. I'd love I'd love to have your input on that. Maybe in another conversation. Industry doesn't know they need PhDs, but they do. And when they interview these people, they're like, "Okay, oh, this is actually a very good candidate. I'm going to take them. Uh, I'm going yeah, yeah. to take them in." It, it is it is an interesting one because PhDs like we we need we need like a a branding agency or something. Yeah. To, to, <laughs> I totally to, agree. <laughs> and I think that's in some ways what I've been trying to do with Jobs on Toast. Really, is a little bit is like how do you how do you rebrand the PhD for to some for something different both to the people who are doing it and to people outside and i think it's very hard because it's very hard how do you reach all employers you know it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of impossible but i think you know we have done a good job and i see things in the media now which i would never have seen you know about um about phds being kind of like multi-skilled um flexible mm-hmm. uh, knowledge workers who can kind of like we were saying you know switch from project to project mm. what we our capabilities very much fit the kind of the, the job market of today i think mm. Um, as long as we can, we as PhDs can make that imaginative leap, exactly. and as long as employers can also drop some of their prejudices yeah. uh, as well, mm-hmm. definitely. The, the I love imaginative leap because it's through you. Picture yourself in that position. Allow yourself to picture yourself in that position, and then go talk to the people. The things you said you didn't you didn't do per se, but yeah. but go go just find people around you who know someone who does that job that interests you. They'll be happy to, and and they, you know, especially if they have a PhD too, they'll be happy to take time to take coffee to, uh, I don't know, have lunch with you, share their story, and maybe point point you towards something that might interest you. Chris, yeah, we really have reached the uh, the end of the of, of our time. Uh, if people want to uh, want to reach out to you, want to uh, you know see whatever you, you've been writing lately, how where can I reach you? Where can they reach you online? What's the best way to to be up to date with uh, with with what you what you're up to? Yeah, well, the best place is to uh, go to jobsontoast.com. That's that's my uh, my website where. I- probably publish an article every every two months mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah you can also um follow me on twitter so that's just uh at jobs on toast um so yeah i'm uh yeah try and keep up uh you know putting out content on twitter both sharing my own content but also sharing some of the best mm. uh you know stuff uh relating to phd careers uh as well so yeah they're, they're the places where you can uh, where you can find me excellent chris thank you so much for for having accepted to come to to the microphone and and chat with me uh i definitely i i would have talked i think a full other hour (laughs) because uh, there's we we you know there's so much to talk about uh who knows if we can if we can have another conversation maybe on a specific theme i I, i'd love to but thank you uh uh, i i it's really uh, an inspiring path that you uh, that, that you have uh, 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 an inspiring journey that you've had and to me it's especially inspiring that um, you you take time uh, to apart from your professional life apart from your family life keep trying to bring this message to to people in graduate school out there that there's a, a, uni- a whole universe of things out there that they can do after graduating and that they will be fulfilled at doing and and uh, you know intellectually stimulated and part of and, and you know a productive part of of uh, society and uh, i think that's uh, that's very precious and it's very noble well thanks very much david i really enjoyed talking to you thanks for inviting me on hi again i hope you enjoyed this conversation 
and that you took at least one take-home message from it. If you did, make sure to subscribe on your podcast app and to share Papa PhD with your friends. I'm sure they are asking themselves the same questions and that they will enjoy it too. Before ending the episode, let me introduce you to two podcasts that you might also enjoy. Plants and Pipettes, a podcast about plants and about the research around them, and The Lonely Pipette. Hmm, sounds like we have a theme going this week. A brand new podcast aiming to help scientists do better science. And roll the tape. Do you like plants? Like really, really like them? Do you wish you could get a glimpse at how they work on the inside, how they grow, flower, avoid problems like drought and heat, and how they defend themselves against attacks? Well, we do too. That's why we at Plants and Pipettes explore the fascinating inner workings of plant molecular biology in our podcast and on our blog. Did you know that bumblebees can control the flowering time of plants by gently biting on them? Or that soap bubbles are great for plant pollination? We are Tegan and Yoram. Two plant scientists who escaped the lab to bring you the hot new research without all the scientific jargon. Plus, we talk about topics of diversity and equality in the academic system. And bring fun science facts from the last week. Oh, and we talk about cats. And sometimes also we rant. You can read our stuff on plantsandpipettes.com or search for Plants and Pipettes in your favorite podcast app. Plants and Pipettes, we, we talk, talk plant science. science. Are you working in research, trying to do the best science you can? Are you a team leader, a research assistant, postdoc, PhD student or any other type of scientist? Are you looking for a place where you can sit, relax and listen to inspiring people? Well, we have good news for you. You've just found what you're looking for. Hi everybody, my name is Renaud Pourpre. And I am Jonathan Weitzman. Welcome, Welcome to, to The, the Lonely Pipette. Helping scientists do better science. And that's it for this first episode of Season 2. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll be taking some of the pearls of wisdom we shared with you on your journey. Thank you and have a great week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.